Welcome to the church. Amen. All right, man, we're just on the other side of the middle right now of a series that we've been doing called Go. This series, Go. And uh, we just started, we just thought, you know what, what would it be like if we totally took Jesus seriously, right? If we, if we took him seriously when he, he gave his command to go and make disciples, all right, um, of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What if we actually really did that? What if we really did go? Because a lot of times, man, you know, when we look at this, we, we sat back in church world anyways, um, we sat back, man, and we like, man, I wonder what that would be like if he would really send me, right? <laughs> I wonder where he would actually send me if he decided to send me. I, remember, I, wonder, I wonder when he would decide to send me if he would actually send me. When the, when the truth of the matter is, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, man, he's already sent you. It's already sent you, man. And so what we want to do with this series is we want to take a practical look at what it means to make disciples of Jesus Christ with people that we're already with. Instead of waiting to go off to some far-off country, which is not invalid, which actually does happen and is important. But what does it look like to start now, right here, right where we're at? All right, and so we've been asking this question. For the past few weeks, we've been asking this question, what would it look like if Jesus was where you're already at? What would it look like, man, if Jesus lived in your house, right? We, we put that to the test. What would it look like? Your house would probably be cleaner, right? <laughs> There'd be more food, all right? You wouldn't be making, you know, <laughs> you'd be using those leftovers for sure, right? And what would it look like if Jesus lived in your house? What would it look like if, if Jesus bridged the generational gap between those who are older in your life and those who are younger in your life? What would it look like if Jesus started the conversation with those younger people in your life or with those older people in your life? What would that look like, man? What would it look like if Jesus, here's the crazy one, what would it look like if Jesus worked where you work? You're like, there's no way he'd work there. <laughs> yeah, man, what would it look like if he did the work? If some of you stay at home, mom stay at home, you know, work at home or whatever the case may be, what would it look like if he did the work you do? What would the quality of that work look like? Right? What would it look like, man, if Jesus hung out without, with your family? Would it, what would it look like if Jesus hung out with your extended family? You know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the crazy ones, right? The ones that you're like, I am not inviting them here. That'll be too crazy. What would it look like if Jesus hung out with those cats? What would it look like if Jesus hung out with your friends? The friends you had at the time you gave your life to Christ. The friends that you had before you gave your life to Christ, excuse me. The friends that maybe you have right now that don't know Christ. What would it look like if Jesus hung out with them, man? And let me just again challenge you because if you've given your life to Christ, he already does hang out. He already does live in your house. He already does have those conversations with those, then those generational gaps. He already does work at your work. He already does hang out with the crazy people in your family. He already does hang out with your friends. He does it through you, man. Do you even know? My question is, you know, do you know that he's doing that? And even more importantly, do they know that Jesus is in the house? Do they know? How would they? If you ain't making it known, man. Last, uh, I'm out of here. I'll see you later. Just kidding. I forgot my water over here. I'm done. 
So this stuff gets you worked up. I don't know, does it get you worked up? It freaks me out, man. You know what I mean? It just does. All right, but check this out. Last week, my wife and I, we were, um, we weren't here. I wasn't, Pastor Blake knocked it out of the park. Did he knock it out of the park? I had something in my hand. All right. <clears throat> and so that's because me and my wife were seeking spiritual pursuits last week together. Uh, we went to go see Kiss on the final road tour <laughs> in Laughlin, Nevada. <laughs> Sorry, man. That's my, there was, they were my, they were my junior high, in junior high, dude, they were my guys. Okay. They just were. All right. They were just my guys, man. And then, uh, you know, and they're still pretty hardcore today. They're still, I mean, they're older than me and they're tearing it up. But anyways, we had, we had, uh, been gifted by some amazing friends to, to, to tag along, man, and go and, and go see Kiss, man, in Laughlin. And, you know, there's this whole coronavirus thing going, right? You know, who doesn't, right? Anyways, right? And, uh, and so I start tripping a little bit. You know, do I really want to be traveling right now? You know what I mean? I mean, we're going to be over there in, uh, in Laughlin. There's casinos and, you know, there's all kinds of people that are all close to you. We're going to be in a concert. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and I recognize, you know, as you look on the landscape, you, there's, a, there's a lot of people right now that are afraid to live because they're afraid they might die. Right? They're, they're afraid to live because they might die. And, and so while I'm considering, like, you know, this, this trip and how we're going to handle it, I started this thinking, man, you know what? I cannot, I cannot do that. I can't choose not to live for fear of dying. Amen? I can't choose not to be fully alive for fear of dying. All right? And if I give my life to Christ, I am way more alive than I've ever been in my life. And I can't choose not to live, all right, for fear of dying, you know, in front of other people. And so, yeah, we, we, we went, all right, but, but you know what? You just use common sense, right? There's a lot of scare right now. There's a lot of people just freaking out. And so, but, but, but what is the common sense, man? And, and if you go to the Center of Disease Control, cdc.gov, all right, there's all kinds of updates and all that kinds of good, but don't let it freak you out. But they're a little bit more accurate than what's happening. But they just tell you, man, if you're going to go out and, and about, uh, you know, here's some, I mean, this is groundbreaking, all right? Kind of coronavirus and everything, it's groundbreaking. If you're out and about and you see somebody that's sick, stay back. <laughs> all right, I know, huh? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what I mean? Mind blown, man. If somebody's sick, step back. Right? Stay away from people who are sick, right? And here's another one, right? If, if, you're, if you're touching things, all right, and, and, you know, be careful not to go and touch things and touch people and stuff, and then touch your mouth, touch your nose, and touch your eyes, all right? Because you're taking things, and you're putting it in you, all right? Don't put it in you, all right? Be smart, all right? And, you know, and, and then here's, a, this, is, this is probably one of the most craziest ones here on the list. If you yourself are sick, stay home. <laughs> right? I mean, this stuff is just blowing me away. I'm like, wait a second, okay? So we're not sick, all right? We're going to watch out for people who aren't sick. I'm not going to touch my, head, you know, my mouth and everything. And, and, and if you have to cough, well, how many of you are freaking out when people cough around you now? You're like, ah, right? <laughs> Sanitizer, all right? <laughs> you go and tell him to take a shower. He coughed, all right? And so, you know what I mean? If you're going to cough, you know, I mean, sometimes this isn't, like, this is the old habit, right? Oh, but it's going this way and it's going that way, all right? That carry these. These are awesome. 
if you can have tissues, those are even better because you can cough in the kitchen and throw it away. Me? <clears throat> and then I don't give it to you. Here, hold on. Here, cough into this. No, that's not. <laughs> this is mine, all right? And if you touch things that a lot of people touch, disinfect. Big deal. It's just that time. It's that time, right? It's flu season. We should be doing this stuff anyways, right? Right? And, and then, okay, let me just kind of give you an update on the face masks, all right, that are just kind of the shelves are cleared right now, face masks and hand sanitizers. Face, face masks are for sick people who are sick and people who are dealing with sick people. All right? I get it. You're like, oh, no, I can't go out in public without a face mask. You know, that's why right now, I, I'm just going to tell you, man, it's getting crazy out there right now. If you watch the news, man, people are, are rushing the stores and there's face masks that are missing. I was talking to Brian who works in healthcare. He says, right now, we're, we have an order for face masks and it's just not coming. These are healthcare workers. They need the face masks. You who are driving, you know what I mean, to Pilates, all right, or, or heading over to wherever, you don't need a face mask, all right? <laughs> just go. Be all right. Follow those other rules. You'll be cool, right? Could this thing get out of hand? Of course, but anything can get out of hand if we let it, right? Things are getting crazy. People are getting crazy. But, you know, people do crazy things when they're trying to protect the people they love, Amen. We will. We'll, do, we'll go through some extremes, man, when we're trying to protect the people that we love. And there's really nothing wrong with that. I understand that. My question to you today is, are you crazy enough? Are you being crazy enough to protect the people you love? I mean, if you're willing to go and empty the shelves of toilet paper, and it doesn't say the coronavirus gives you diarrhea, all right? <laughs> Seriously. And I don't think our country's going to run out of toilet paper. We've got plenty of that. All right, but what was I going with that? <laughs> all right, if we're going to go crazy, all right, and protecting the people we love, how crazy are you willing to get? How crazy are you willing to get, man, if you're a Jesus person, man? If you're a Jesus person and you have the answer to, to, to the ultimate question, why am I here all right? If you're a Jesus person and you have an answer to that other question, where is this all going? All right? If you're a Jesus person and you have these, these answers to these crazy questions like why, what is the purpose of all this and where is it all going to end and is there an You have the answers to this. Are you crazy enough to share it with the people in your life that don't? All right, those crazy family members. All right, check this out. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Penn and Teller. All right, let me show you a picture real quickly of Penn and Teller. I don't know if you guys ever heard of these guys. I don't recommend them. I'm not recommending them. This is not saying, hey, go see their show. All right, I just want to know if anybody heard that they're, they're a magic act, a comedy act. Anyways, the guy that was on the right, the tall guy, all right, that's Penn. I forget. I don't know how to say Gillette or something like that. Renowned atheist. Totally round, outspoken atheist will literally say, look at, I know there is no God, all right? Don't talk to me. There is no God, all right? I'm like, don't try. You know, I, you can talk, you know, he, he actually invites you to talk to him about God, but, and I'll show you right here in a minute, but he'll basically just say, there is no God, all right? It's just ludicrous to think that there is a God. Well, anyways, one day after a show a few years ago, one night after a show, um, he, 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 he did this show, and a lot of times in those comedy acts and magic acts, they'll take somebody from the audience, come on up here, right? Anyways, he had somebody come up from the audience, 
and uh, did, a, did a thing and, give, and he had him hold this prop and you get to take the prop home with you. So after the show, that person, this guy, he sees him after the show kind of waiting to talk to him because he's talking to the crowd, signing autographs and all that stuff. And he sees this guy and finally when the crowd thinned out a little bit, the guy comes up to him and he said, remember, don't touch your eyes. There I go, okay, right? Anyways, it's not that big of a deal, all right, anyways. All right, so uh, he sees this guy come up to him and he had this thing in his hand. And he comes up to Penn, and he goes, hey, man, I goes, um, and, and Penn saw him with the prop. He said, yeah, I remember you were in the show. He goes, yeah, hey, I, I just want to give this to you if that's okay. And it was a little New Testament, right, a little Bible. I gave it to him. He says, I wrote on the front page, and it was just for you. And he goes, look, and the guy told, told, told Penn, he goes, look, man, I'm not crazy. He said, I, I'm a businessman, all right? I'm not one of those, I'm not out there. I'm freaking out. He goes, I just care about you, and I thought, you can use this. Penn said this. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't share their faith. He says, I'm not a Christian. I don't follow this faith. He says, but I've always said that I don't expect people. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. He says, this guy just amazed me. He was a good man. Penn, this is his testimony, this, this atheist, renowned atheist. says, this guy was a good man. He says, I don't respect it at all when, 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 when believers don't share with me their belief. If you believe, here's what he says. This is a quote, direct quote. If you believe there is a heaven and hell, all right, and people could be going to hell or, getting, or not getting eternal life or whatever, he says, and you think it's not really worth telling them because you're afraid it might be socially awkward? He says, this is a direct quote. I actually, there's a video on, on YouTube of him talking about this. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize, to not tell them about your faith. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And he gives this example. He says, man, if, I, if, if you were in the middle of the street and saw, I saw a truck come barreling down the road, I'm telling you, you know, and I, and I, and I wanted you, I knew you were going to get hit by this truck, but I didn't want to tell you because I felt it would be awkward. And I just let you get run over. He says, what's that? What good is that? He goes, personally, I would do everything I can to get you out of the road, even if I had to tackle you. Then he goes on to say, hey, look, I know there is no God. He goes, I just wanted to let you know I have respect for this guy. It's crazy. It's crazy, man, because we have an answer. And the answer is, is, is that love was manifested, all right, and was expressed by God in his son, Jesus Christ, who got up, who taught, all right, who, who showed the way to the kingdom and then died so you can have a way to the kingdom, all right? He gave his life on the cross, all right? He died, man, and he was buried, and then three days later, man, he got up, and he is still up. And he is God, and he is Lord, and he is king. Now, some of you are tripping on that. And some of us, you know, we got, it's locked in. We know it's a fact because of our experiences. And you know what? And, you know, we're willing to go and empty the shelves of toilet paper and face masks and, and fight our way through, through a crowd of people so we can make sure that the people in our home are safe. But yeah, you know what? What about this? The best way we can possibly love our family, the best way we can possibly love our friends is to show them Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, man, if your people don't know Jesus, then be Jesus to your people. 
Come on, man. This is where we're at. I don't know, it ain't easy. But it's always possible. And it's definitely essential. There was a guy 2,000 years ago. There was a guy. His name was Cornelius. Let me, and, and he was crazy enough, all right, not only to pursue this faith. I'm going to share this story. But not only was he crazy enough to pursue this faith, he was crazy enough to invite everyone he knew to come and check it out for themselves, to come and see for themselves. Father, we give you a praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. And Lord God, we are asking in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you just guide us, Lord God, in our understanding. Guide us, Lord God, in, in, in your word, as your word speaks in us, speaks around us, speaks to us, lifts us up. I pray that your Holy Spirit is just already falling down on us to guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we'll start in verse 1. We're actually going to use the whole chapter. And um, this, this, cha- this, this verse right here, I mean, this chapter right here, I've preached out of it so many different times, and I know I'll preach out of so many more because it's so jam-packed with so many different things. But we have a central focus right here, and this is what we've been talking about so far that we're going to pursue through, this, through, this, uh, through Acts chapter 10. And so if you want to turn there, if not, we're going to have it up on the screen, all right? And it says here in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea, you're like, what the heck is that? Sounds like a really cool, you know, Mexican dish, all right? You know, some of that Caesarea, please, all right? No, it was actually a town, all right? It was a town that's actually still there to this day. It's a coast town right on the coast of the Mediterranean. It's approximately 75 miles away from Jerusalem. If you're in Jerusalem, all right, it would be northwest. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, that's west. Right? Northwest on a map, right? To the left is west. I knew this. I was just checking if you knew it. All right? It would be northwest of Jerusalem, about 75 miles, and still is today. All right? And so in this town 2,000 years ago, all right, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. All right? Very cool name, if you ask me. All right? He was a centurion. What is a centurion? A centurion was a Roman soldier that not wasn't just a soldier. He was actually the soldier that was kind of in a commander in between the troops and in between the, the you know, the the, the heavy officials. He was he was basically a military, um, you know, maybe a military officer. He he oversee he overseed anyone between 100 uh, troops or to, to several hundred. All right. So he was very responsible for 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 a, a large group of men and very well respected. You see, you didn't become a centurion unless you were respected, you know, in the Roman in in, in that uh, in the Roman military. You didn't become a, a centurion unless you had proven yourself, all right, by virtue of bravery, all right, of loyalty and character and even skill while in battle, all right? So that's how one would become, you know, you would start as a soldier and just literally fight your way, all right, into these, uh, and, 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 and through wisdom, uh, become, you know, basically a leader in, you know, of the troops, basically a centurion who would lead what we called a, a century, so he was, a, he was a pretty well-known guy, pretty respected guy. He was kind of a big deal, let's put it that way. So at Caesarea, basically a predominantly Roman town, there was a dude named Cornelius. 
He was a centurion uh, of, of what was known as the Italian cohort. And then it gives a really cool description of this guy. It says that he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. Did you get that? A devout man means basically a committed man. He didn't pretend faith. He didn't have said faith. He didn't have part-time faith. It wasn't only weekend church faith, all right? He didn't only have faith when it was time to pray for dinner, all right? He didn't, you know, he, had, he was committed to his faith. Right, but he was a Roman. Wait a second. And Romans were pretty much enemies of the Jews because they were, they were basically oppressors of the Jews. Remember, the Roman government was the umbrella over every, basically the empire, over every little, every little country and this people group at that time. And they would allow them to have their own kings and everything, but, but ultimately recognize Caesar. And this is their quote, Caesar is Lord. That was their, that was their quote. So they weren't really well liked by the Jews. But he was a devout man, and he feared God. In other words, he respected God. He was in awe of God. He worshiped God. He knew that God, no matter how big he was, he knew that God was Lord and actually not Caesar. So he actually, it could be said that though he was a loyal soldier, he was probably more loyal to God than anyone. And because of his commitment, his household, his family, the people who worked on his ranch were also committed as well. They were committed because he was a good leader, not only in the military, but he was a good leader in his home, a strong leader in his home. It said that he gave alms generously. In other words, he was a very generous man. He, he was well off. He was a centurion. He had money, but he also gave to the people, and he prayed continually to God. He, can, he prayed continually to God. I truly believe that there are a lot more people praying around you than you actually know. And I'm wondering if God wants the same story that happens with Cornelius to happen with the people around you that are praying that just don't know who they're talking to yet. But they're actually praying. And so while he's praying one day, an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, look at man, I God hears your prayers. He says, the gifts that you've been given to the poor, God sees that. He recognizes your generosity, and he hears your prayers. Here's what I want you to do. This angel came to him in a vision. So it wasn't actually, uh, like, literally, physically there, but it was literally, physically, he, was, he, was, he had this vision. It's, it's different than actually being present right here and just kind of our imagination. There's a reality that's actually taking place in the spiritual world where, where, where he was actually having this communication with an angel. And he says, look, God hears what you're going through. He understands what's happening. He sees what you're, what you're, what you're, what you're dealing with. And he goes, I want, you to, I want you to finish the story here. The story is incomplete. I want you to read this guy named Peter, the Apostle Peter. He's in a town just south, right, in a town called Joppa, which is still a town today, but I think it's called Jaffa today, 30 miles south of Caesarea. He says, he says I want you to go and get him. And then so he says, all right, in verse 7, it says, when the angel of the Lord spoke to him and departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier. So we talked about how, you know, being that expression of faith in your workplace. And now check this out. Here's, here's proof. Not only was he uh, a leader and commander, but there was another guy that he worked with that was a follower of God as well. A committed man of God as well. So he took two people in his house, 
all right? And this devout soldier, and he says, you know what? Go to, go to Joppa and go get that dude, Peter. And so they did. Meanwhile, Peter is in Joppa, and he's, and we'll talk about this story another time, so I'm going to be very brief here. He, he's actually praying, talking to God. God kind of gives him a heads up, all right? There's, there's a lot more to this story, but he gives him a heads up. A couple of guys are going to come, all right? They're, you know, just go with them. He doesn't prep them that they're Roman soldiers and stuff like that. He just says, go, go with them. So Peter, at that moment, Peter comes downstairs, and there's some guys at the door. It's those two servants, that devout soldier. Peter probably freaks out when he sees, the last time he saw a soldier, he cut his ear off, remember? I don't know if you remember that. The night Jesus was arrested, it wasn't a Roman soldier, because he got in big trouble for that. It was actually a temple guard, cut his, cut his ear off. All right, I believe it was. I might have to check that out. Maybe you can check that out and fact check me later. All right? Anyways, here he is at his house. And he says, well, God says, I'm supposed to go with you. So fast forward a few days later, all right, and Peter goes over to this guy's house, Cornelius' house, a Roman's house. Now, there's a little bit that we don't know that probably helps the story a little bit. At this time in life, the Jews were very, very prejudiced against the Romans. Why? Because they were oppressors of their way of life, all right? But here's Peter going to one of their houses, not only one of their houses, but a soldier, an enforcer of that oppression, Peter shows up, and Cornelius, look at verse 24. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. This is crazy. I don't know if you recognize what's happening right here. All right, here's a guy that doesn't quite, that knows God, but doesn't quite know the full story. And here's a guy that knows God, knows the full story, comes to his house. What does Cornelius do? He invites all of his friends. He invites all of his close relatives and says, look at man, check this out. Church is coming to my house. You need to come to my house to go to church. You need to come see the church, man. You need to come and get involved. He used his influence, all right, and invited the church to his house and invited his friends and family to the church in his house. Let me just tell you this, man. If your house is a lighthouse, then it should be a shared house, Amen. If your, light, if your house is a lighthouse, all right, if your house has, has the presence of the living God in the men and women who live in that house, then it should be a shared house. We can't keep that to ourselves. I can't imagine what those invitations look like. You know, some people are probably like, dang, we probably better go. He is, you know, a centurion. You know what I mean? Other people, you know, their family members are like, you know, yeah, he's pretty crazy with that faith. Let's go see what he's got. Other people are probably like, you know what? This guy's committed. He's always on, he's always on point, man. This, this, he, he's unchanging. Oh, we need to go check this out. I don't know what it looks like. What would it look like for you to invite people to your house? I know some of you think, man, you go, like, I don't have the influence of Cornelius. I haven't won any fights, any battles. I haven't demanded the respect of my family members. As a matter of fact, I've kind of done the opposite for some of us. All right, I didn't go to any wars. All right, my life is anything but honorable. But I have to tell you, you fought your way here, didn't you? You fought your way right into this room to hear this message. You are fighting to receive the word of God right now because there is much opposition. I know this. And you haven't given up the battle because you're here or you're watching online and you're engaging. All right, here's what I do know, that any life that overcomes self-centeredness is an honorable life, Amen. Your life is a testimony to your friends. Your life is a testimony to your family. If your life is consistent, if your life keeps pushing and you're here, why? Because you're pushing. And that's honorable. That's respectful. That's celebration worthy. 
And I guarantee your friends and your family are taking notice. They might be calling you crazy to your face, but they're checking to see how this goes. You might just be, you've heard this said before, they might just be the only Jesus they ever see. And so Peter went into the house. And the guy fell down at his feet, man. He's like, dude, man, Cornelius, get up. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm just a man just like you. There's only one that we should fall down to. There's only one we should worship. And that's Jesus. And he goes, tell me why I'm here, man. And Cornelius told him about the prayer, told him about the angel. Peter's tripping, you know, wait a second. I kind of had that same thing taking place the other day, you know, had a prayer, had, had some, you know, Lord, tell me to come over here. And then he said, look at verse 33. So I sent for you at once. And you've been kind enough to come here. Now, therefore, we're all here. We're all here. My family's here. My relatives, my close, my close friends are here. We're here, man, in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord to tell us. And so Peter started to preach, and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He opened his mouth and he started to speak the words of Christ. He, started, he talked about the cross. He talked about the, the, de the death, the burial, the resurrection. And then in verse 42, and he says, And he, because of all this, has commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his, of sins through his name. Is that not good enough news? I mean, if you're crazy to stock up on toilet paper, are you crazy enough to share the gospel with your family? Are you crazy enough to hold on to them and not let them rush, that mad rush, to the gates of hell? What about your friends? Are you crazy enough to let them know, to let them know why about the hope that you have within this, this life, man, that, you, that is just regenerating you. Here's what I know, man. I know you have love for your friends. I know you have love for your family. At least some of them, because some of them are kind of crazy and they make you feel like, wait, you know what I mean? Right? But I want to challenge that in a minute. So I have to believe if you truly knew how to love your family best, you would. And I, I believe you're trying to right now. I believe many of you are trying to learn to love your friends the best way you know how. And you're like, look, I'm not going to pressure them. I'm not going to beat them over the head with the Bible. That is not what I'm talking about. We never tell you to do that around here. Start slapping them with some verses. You know what I mean? What do you think of that? I think you need to get out of my face before I punch you in the throat. Right? All right? Exactly. No, we're not telling you to do that. Again, what I am telling you is the best way that we can possibly love our friends and family is to show them Jesus. To show them Jesus. If, if, if your people don't know Jesus, right, then you need to be Jesus to your people. Jesus said this, this is how he put it, man. He says, You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. 
right? You're going to be my witnesses, man. You're going to, he didn't say you're just going to, you're just going to go out there and just, you know, slap everybody over the head and preach with the bullhorn. And he didn't, that's not the kind of, that's not necessarily the kind of witness he's talking about. Yes, we do need to talk about this. We do need to share what this all means. But, but, but a witness, basically, he says, you need to be, you need to be. In other words, you need to be the presence of a witness of Christ, all right? He says, you're the light of the world. We're not the source of the light, but we're a reflection of the light. Here's what the light of the world looks like. This is what he's calling us to do. He says, I want you to be my witnesses. Be a picture of who Jesus would be if he was hanging out with your family. Be a picture of who Jesus would be if he was hanging out with your friends. And you're like, I don't know what that looks like. Go and read your Bibles, man, and read about Jesus. All right? The only people he was challenging were the hypocrites, man, people who weren't everything they said they were. And we're all about that, right? We don't like a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. He was, but, but, but to everyone else, he was the presence of love in action. A lot of times we look at this, man, we think, you know, we have, we have a problem, all right, when we're thinking about, well, who Jesus would be in our family. We have a problem with that. When it comes to our family, we have a problem with our approach, all right? We think that all of a sudden, because we know better, they should know better too, right? That we know better, they should know better too. And if they don't respond to our know better message, all right, then we just write them off. Or we, or we shut it down and we, and we're, and we're not allowed, we, and we don't share in front of them. What if instead of us telling them how to know better, all right, we started to show them what the love of Christ looks like? There's some people in my family, my personal family, they're being challenged daily by life, and it hurts. It's hurting them. And they don't need me to come and give them a Bible story, a Bible lesson. They don't need me to teach them a Bible study. They don't even, a lot of them don't even know what's in here. So why am I, how, what good is it for me to do to turn the page or turn the chapter, you know? Well, I need to be the page. I need to be the chapter, amen? And some of you say, man, I just need, you know, I know they need to be loved, but a lot of them don't deserve love. Some of our families have hurt us and we think they just don't deserve love. I gotta ask you a question. How do you earn love? Anybody? You don't earn love. You don't earn love. You receive love. You give love. Period, man. Period. Jesus didn't come and say, wait a second. Uh, yes, yeah, no, you haven't earned your love yet. Hold on a second. I haven't died for you yet. He said, while we were still sinners, he gave his life for us. He died for us. Right? He didn't call us to tell us to earn the love. He just poured it out freely. And a lot of us are still wiping on him, man. We, you know, and still just turning our backs on him. But yet he gave it to us. We don't earn the love. Our problem with our families a lot of times is our approach. It has got us so frustrated, man. What would it look like just to love? I know that's oversimplifying, but you know what? There's a message in there for you. And with our family, our problem is often our assumption. Our problem is our assumption because some of our friends, especially some of our old friends, they're not the kind of people that would hang out with Jesus, right? Or Jesus would hang out with. That's what we assume. But if you read your Bible, you recognize people who were nothing like Jesus love to hang out with Jesus. Read your Bible. 
People who were nothing like Jesus loved hanging out with Jesus. Why? Because he loved them. Genuine, no strings attached, love. What if you showed them that Jesus was already hanging out with them? What if you showed your family that Jesus really does already love them? What if you begin to be the witness before you speak the witness? What if you just stay in for the long haul? What does it look like? What does it look like to be? I've got six B words I want to give you. Pastor Blake had, I think, six take-homes last week, but he did it very cleverly. He says, I have three things I want you to remember, and then I'm going to tell you a few things. I just want you to do one of them. <laughs> or pick one, not just do one, pick one. He actually gave you six things I think it was to do. It was pretty awesome. It's pretty clever. I'm just going to tell you straight up, I want you to do all six of these things, all right? <laughs> Bang. There it is. All right? So what does it look like? Number one, I want you to be real. What does it look like to be a witness for God? Number one, be real, man. Can you just be yourself? Be yourself. Yourself is a great self, so be yourself. Jesus gave his life for yourself. Dallas Willard put it this way, and I've shared this with you before. He said that discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process, it's the working uh, movement, all right, of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you in your house with your family, talking to your friends, going to your job, or staying at home and taking care of your, your things, all right, whatever the case may be. So number one, we got to do, open your hand, man. Give me your hand like this, all right? This means just be you. When you come up to Jesus and if you raise your hand to him, you're saying, here it is, it's me, right? It's me, Jesus. Be you. So number one, be you. And then you have five fingers. I don't want to challenge each of those fingers. Number one, be honest. Be honest. Yeah, we need to speak the truth, but speak it in love. I want to challenge you to something, man. All right? Well, let me just tell you real quickly. When you're being real, people who know you know when you're not being you, right? People who know you know when you're not being you, so be you. All right? But be honest. Speak the truth in love. And you've heard this said before. All right? People don't care about what you know until they know you care. Until they know you really care. So you're going to be you. And what is you? Honest. Number two, be pure. And some of this, for, for all of us, man, I think all of us here, it's more of a become pure. Because what is pure? It's filled, refined, and forged, all right? It's God's pouring in the purity of his word. And it's mixed with the junk that's in our life, but allowing the purity of his word to purify our life and kick out the junk gives us this unmixed life. Purity is, means literally, means, means pure, unmixed. There's not two different things in there. There's one thing. So, 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 so be real, be honest, truth and love, and become pure. It's a lifelong process because God's going to keep pouring in. He's going to keep filling. There's going to continue to be a refinement, and the impurities are going to be continuing to come out, and you're going to continually be forged in the manner a woman God has called you to be. Be real, be honest, be pure, be patient patient. Be prepared and ready for the long conversation. Prepared and ready for the long conversation. You walk into your family and you think, you, 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 all of you are going straight to hell. So, 
Let's change this up or good luck with that. Be patient. I had a student in my student ministry. She was constantly praying for her father, for her father to come to Christ. And she was just a faithful witness in the the life of her dad, continual faithful witness in the life of her dad. She didn't hammer him with scripture. She was always just, she just behaved like a good daughter of the king and a good daughter of her dad. And she didn't, she didn't compromise her faith. It was crazy because he didn't, his whole life, he would not give his life to Christ. She led him to Jesus on his deathbed. It's an amazing testimony. She really did. And her father went to go be with the Lord. She was prepared for the long, hard, long, long conversation, and she was just a kid. Be real. Be honest. Be pure. Be patient. Be ready. Be ready. If they ask you, be ready to ask. If they're going to ask you questions, it'll come. It might not come for a few years, but the questions will come. The questions will come. And a ready person doesn't need to get ready. So how do you stay ready? You stay in the Word. All right, you stay in the Word. A heart prepared with Jesus in private is the heart that will bring Him glory in public. A heart that is prepared with Jesus in private, in those quiet times of just searching his word and praying and having these conversations with him is a heart that will bring him glory in public. That's a ready heart. Be ready. Be real. Be pure. I mean, be honest. Be pure. Be patient. Be ready. And be faithful. Let all you do, everything you do, be done for Jesus, to Jesus, in Jesus, with Jesus, and because of Jesus. And you ask the question, what would it look like if Jesus hung out with my family? What would it look like if he kicked it with my friends? I gotta challenge you, if you've already given your life to Christ, then he already does. The question is, do they know it? If your people don't know Jesus, then you need to be Jesus to your people. Amen. Father, we give you the praise. We give you the glory, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we just give you thanks. Lord, I pray that this is just not a a message that just fades. I pray, Lord God, that this is just not something, man, that we just help us to own this, Lord God, in our life. Help us to own the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. Everyone here, this is a world-changing room of people. The people in this room, Lord God, you're calling us to, to change the landscape, Father. We're not going to do it half-hearted or only on the weekends. Help us, Lord God, to own this for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ.